I was a young kid learning how to drive. I was 16. Some of you are 16 getting ready to learn how to drive or you're 12 and you can't wait until you're 16 to drive. But I remember my dad, he said, listen, son, if you're going to learn how to drive, you've got to learn on a stick shift. Some of you are like, what is that? Right? It is a manual where you actually shift the gears yourself. Right? It's not automatic. Now, that might be surprising. You know, they say today that a stick shift is the new security system for vehicles because no one knows how to drive them and they can't steal it. Right? So it's a good thing. Well, my dad said if you could drive a a stick shift, you can drive anything. And so I went to the bottoms of McKee's Rocks, which is probably the only flat area in the entirety of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Right? And so he's like, I want to teach you how to do this. And so we spent a couple weeks on the flats, the bottoms of McKee's Rocks. And man, I was feeling really good. I had it down. I figured out the clutch and the gas. I figured out the shifting. And, and I even figured out that if you go fast enough, you can shift gears without hitting the clutch. I was figuring this thing out. So my dad said, all right, son, now comes what's we, what we call the hill test. How many of you guys know what the hill test is with the stick shift? All right, so we go to the cemetery, which is directly across from my house on the north side, and man, these are big hills. If you know Pittsburgh, they have some of the largest hills with roads on them in the entirety of America. So we go inside this cemetery, my dad pulls up the car to the tippy top, right where a stop sign would most likely be. And he said, son, I'm going to put this in neutral, pull the e-brake, we're going to switch, and you're going to get up this hill now, and I'm like, how hard can this be? I figured this whole thing out. I know how to shift. I know how to, man, this is easy. So I hop in there, and I get ready, and I hit the gas and the clutch, and it stalls. And then it goes backwards, right? And so I'm driving backwards, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, I don't know what to do. My dad pulls the e-brake right before I hit a tombstone. I'm not lying. This is how bad this was. It was horrible. And I'm terrified. I'm shaking, right? I'm like, I would die if I were in the city right now. And he's like, yeah, you probably would. But that's why we're doing this. And so what was marvelous to me is he goes right back up to the hill. And he pulls the e-brake, puts it in neutral, and says, now, son, go ahead and do this. I'm like, are you crazy? But I figured it out. On the second try, I got it up there, I got it up past the crest, and then stalled it out, but it wasn't going backwards, right? So it was a good thing. I learned how to drive a stick shift. Now, why do I share that? I share that because, although it's funny and it's odd, and many of you have probably had the same experience if you're old enough to drive a stick shift before automatics really came into being or before they became popular, sometimes it's just fun to drive a stick shift. But anyways, you've probably experienced the same thing And you realize really quickly that the car cannot drive itself. It just can't, especially a stick shift. It just, it can't drive itself. Now, you know, we're developing these cars that can drive themselves, but they're not popular consumption, right? We most likely figure out that we are the ones that have to drive the car. The car will not drive itself. And I share that because you and I, when it comes to our walk with Christ, are the car and the Holy Spirit is to be the driver, Now, you'll often look at, when we look at the book of Acts, it calls underneath, it has a title called the Acts of the Apostles. And the ESV even says that itself. And and, and I think that's the biggest error that the ESV has ever done. Now, it's not a translation, it's just a title. And why do I say that? I say that's the biggest error because the believer is to simply be the vessel the Holy Spirit uses for mission. 
I think that the apostles would look at that title, the Acts of the Apostles, and they would say, oh, did you not read the book? Did you not understand? We didn't do that. It was the Holy Spirit within us. We were just the vessel for mission. It was the Holy Spirit of God that empowered us to do that which we are called to do. You see, the church needs, first and foremost, the presence, power, and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that is the importance of this message series that we're doing in the book of Acts. Because we hear often, let's get back to what the early church was like. If we could just be like the early church and, and see the Lord move and do great things and bring many people to Jesus. Well, in order to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify the name of Jesus, to empower us to move into mission and go on mission. It wasn't the acts of the apostles. It was the acts of the Holy Spirit. And so we must ask then, as we are saying that the Holy Spirit is vital for the church, the Holy Spirit is important for us to be like and go back to the roots of the early church to be on mission. We have to ask the question, why is the Holy Spirit so important for the church. Why is the Holy Spirit so important for the church? And I believe that we're going to see that in Acts 1, 1 through 8, and in Acts 1, 16. So if you have your scriptures, please open up your word with me, and we will read together Acts 1, 1 through 8, and then Acts 1, 16. This is the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Verse 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. In these passages, we see the beautiful imagery of how the church began. We see the importance of Jesus' message for mission and empowerment to the disciples. And as the CMA, our call is to be an Acts 1-8 family. And that is, we are a family, a body of believers together who are to go on mission with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is important for the church. Well, why? I believe that the first item of importance that we see is that Jesus lived in humble submission to the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived in humble submission to the Holy Spirit. We can see that in Luke 3, 21 through 22, Acts 1, 2, and Acts 10, 38. Luke, the author of Acts and Luke, wanted us to see the importance of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. Could he have done all of the things he did in his own divinity? Yes, because he was fully God and fully man. 
but he humbled himself from heaven to come to earth to live with all of the limitations of humanity. And we know that. We recognize that. But what that also means is that he was the model for how we are to live in and through the Holy Spirit. Even in Acts 1-2, it says after his resurrection, he was still giving commands through the Holy Spirit. There was an aspect of humble submission to the Holy Spirit in this beautiful picture of the Trinity. He was submitted to the Spirit of God to work through him to show you and I how it is to be done. This is a beautiful picture. Jesus lived the life that was submitted to the will of the Father and to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. If you look at that passage in Luke 3, you'll see that before Jesus went on mission, what happened? He was baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him. Before Jesus even went into ministry, he also waited for the Holy Spirit. And so when he tells the apostles to wait for the Holy Spirit, he's not telling them to do something he did not already do. He showed them the image of what it is to be a person on mission, and that was to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. And so you and I, as we look at this picture of the importance of the Holy Spirit, Jesus called us to the importance of being submitted to the Holy Spirit. And we look in the book of John, we see the same thing. He said, I will leave, but I will send the promise of the Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to remember all the things that I have said, to glorify my name, to walk, and we see in 1 Corinthians, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we see in Galatians that we are to have the fruit of the Spirit as well. Well, we need the Holy Spirit. If Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Jennings, a commentator, states, divine instruction comes only by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus will continue his lessons for life for his disciples through the Holy Spirit. He hearkens back to this reality of Jesus speaking through the Holy Spirit so that you and I can capture that Jesus was submitted. This is Luke's goal. If you look throughout the book of Luke, he talks about the Holy Spirit and Jesus' dependence upon the Holy Spirit often. And so I challenge you to read the book of Luke and also read the book of Acts and see how the Holy Spirit shows up in the life of the believer and in the life of Jesus. If Jesus relied on the Spirit, how much more should we? In fact, we see that Jesus commands us to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Because the next item of importance for the early church as the Holy Spirit comes is that Jesus commands the church to wait for the filling of the Spirit. And we see the promise he mentioned in Luke 24, 49, and we see the fruition of this conversation in Acts 1, 4 through 5, as Jesus reminds them of the promise he gave them not too long ago. Jesus commands them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus put them on mission. We see in Matthew, we see the Great Commission. We also see here in Acts 1-8 the importance of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of following through that mission. But Jesus commanded them. In, in the ESV it says, ordered. And the word for ordered in the Greek is perengelo, and it means to command, a command that must be done. Jesus is spending time with his disciples before he goes back to the Father and he orders them to wait. It's a command that must be done. I want us to understand the weight of this conversation because this is setting the stage for the rest of the book of Acts. 
a command, an order that they need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, they only had to wait 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit came, as we will see next week, as the fire of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. But he ordered them to wait. And I believe that this is a command for the church today as well. Some people might say, oh, well, that was just, you know, a command for the apostles then to be on mission. But I, I, we have to ask the question, if, if the apostles needed the Holy Spirit, the apostles who walked with Jesus, who spent time with Jesus, who hugged Jesus, who listened to the words of Jesus, who watched Jesus die, and who watched Jesus raised from the dead, if they needed the Holy Spirit, and so much so that Jesus would command them to wait for the Holy Spirit. If they needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? How much more do you and I? Because we did not walk face to face with Jesus as they did. We did not have meals with Jesus as they did. We did not see with our own eyes the death and resurrection of Jesus as they did. If we're to go on mission, we too are ordered to wait for the Holy Spirit. You and I, to be the church on mission, to do what we have been called to do, to have the power to do that which we are called to do, we need the Holy Spirit. That is why he brings up Acts 1.8. A.B. Simpson, the founder of our denomination, said, God cannot use us until we come to the end of ourselves. And he was having the conversation of this particular passage. And he's saying, we cannot be filled unless we are emptied. And we'll see that in a moment. We need to be desperate for the Lord. We need to be on our knees begging the Spirit to fill us and wait until he does so that we can move in his empowerment. You see, we are a deeper life movement. And we recognize as a denomination that we cannot do the mission with which God has called us to until we have waited for the Holy Spirit to fill us and give us the ability to do that which he has called us to do. We need to come to the end of ourselves recognizing that in our humanity we are unable to do that which he has called us to do. And too often we try to march into mission without submission. And that is a dangerous, dangerous equation for the church. Going on mission without submission is walking in the flesh. It's not walking or operating in the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that waiting on and operating in the Spirit brings opposition to our flesh. You see, when we try to walk in our flesh, we're trying to do it on our own. A lot of Western discipleship is all about what we do not about submission. A lot of Western discipleship says, here are all the disciplines that you need to do. Here are all the things you need to check off. Now, some of those disciplines do, in fact, bring us to a deeper intimacy with the Lord if we allow them to, rather than making them our duty, they make them our desire, that we desire to be with Him. But we can only have that place when we come to the end of ourselves. And we need to wait on and operate in the Spirit of God not in the spirit of our flesh. Because when we walk in mission without submission, we're going to mess things up. Because I know you might have a hard time believing this, but I'm really not that smart. It's really difficult, isn't it? Not for my wife. She's like, yeah, he's right. I don't know what to do. I don't. I can have all the visionary ideas that I want. 
You can have all the visionary ideas that you want. You could have learned and have more degrees than Fahrenheit how to develop vision, how to move forward, how to do what you're, you're, you're taught to do, and all these different aspects of, of how to be the, the leader that you're supposed to be. You could read leadership books until your ears are bleeding with leadership messages. But without the Holy Spirit, you don't know what to do. You don't know which avenue you're to go down. Because if we're not operating in the Holy Spirit, we're operating in the flesh. And if we don't wait for the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be operating in the Spirit. Paul calls us to walk by the Spirit. Paul calls us in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I hope you're understanding that this is an important aspect for us as a church. Because we need not operate in the flesh. We need to be opposed to our flesh and walk in the Spirit. Because when we walk in our flesh, it really boils down to, to control. I'm, I'm going to be in charge of my life. When we walk in the flesh, it's, you know, I'm going to do this. And when things go well, I want to be celebrated. When things are, are going right with my Christian walk or with our church or with your family, man, I'm going to applaud myself. Look, look how great I am. Look at the great father I am or the great mother I am or the great elder I am or the great pastor I am or the great leader I am. It's all about control. But when we empty ourselves, when we come to the end of ourselves, we give up control. We say, God, wherever you say, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I will say. And many times those will be difficult things that we might not want to do, but will be enabled to do because the Spirit will in fact enable us. He will in fact enable us. My favorite author says, the Spirit must be Lord or He will not come at all. That's A.W. Tozer, if you don't know who my favorite author is by now. There you go. The Holy Spirit must be Lord or he will not come at all, which means he must be our everything. We must come to the end of ourselves and say, it's about you, not about me. It's about your work, not about mine. Imagine if Peter was like, you know what, Jesus, thanks for the really good advice. I'm so glad you went to heaven and, and, and you know, like that hurts me, but I'm, I'm going to do what you called me to do. And he didn't wait for the Holy Spirit and he just went out and tried to preach a message. It would have failed. If they tried to be the early church to go on mission without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it would not have worked. That's why Jesus commanded them to wait and to allow the Spirit to fill them. As I had said previously, Simpson continues his thought by saying they needed to be emptied in order to be filled. Believers need to be emptied before they can be filled. This is coming to the end of ourselves. Saying, you know what, Holy Spirit, empty me of myself. As John the Baptist said of Jesus, less of me and more of him. May I fade to the background, which John the Baptist did very well, without any ego. And Jesus comes to the forefront. When we submit to the Holy Spirit and we come to the end of ourselves and we recognize that we need to be emptied, the Spirit of God fills us with the ability to glorify the name of Jesus in a way that we never could on our own. Now, God can use anything. God can use and always uses flawed human beings because we're all flawed. But when we are filled and emptied of ourselves and filled with the Holy Spirit and go on mission, that we will see the Holy Spirit will use us as he did the early church because God is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever? Why are we not seeing the acts that we saw in the book of Acts? Because we're not emptying ourselves. We're not allowing God to guide and lead and direct and empower through the Holy Spirit with which Jesus promised would fill us and give us the ability to do what he's called us to. I believe if we really were a church submitted in the same way that many of the churches globally are submitted to the Spirit, we would see the same work that God is doing globally here in our Western culture. But we're constantly bombarded with this message that it's about us. I mean, even McDonald's, have it your way, right? It's all about what we can do and what we can have and how we can make it ourselves and what we can do. The message of a Western society is do it on your own. Make your own way. But that's not what the church did in the early days. They submitted. And man, what a movement the church became. We see this happening in China. We see this happening in Vietnam. We see this happening globally in our, even our movement as the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Where there's submission to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the church is growing. In America, the church is shrinking because we're not submitted to the Holy Spirit. Because we're not listening to his voice and doing as he's called us to. The Greek word for wait that, that Jesus uses, where he commands them to wait, is the word perimeno, and it means to wait expectantly. So he commands them to wait, and wait with expectancy, because this is the promise that Jesus has made. He said, you know what, I'm commanding you to wait, I'm ordering you, this must be something that you do, but wait with expectancy, wait with joy, wait with anticipation, because I'm doing something. Because I'm going to move. Because I'm going to use you. I'm going to strengthen you. And something great is going to happen. Where we expect God to show up. But how often in our own lives do we expect God to really use us? We might say, oh yeah, I probably should talk about Jesus more in the workplace. Ah, but I, I, whatever. We don't actually expect him to use us to do it. We might have this sense of, well, i got to try and do it on my own, and when we mess up and fail or don't do it, we feel really shameful and guilty, but it's because we're trying to do it on our own. When we submit to the Spirit and say, God, show me the times and the places that you've already set up for me to bring the gospel. Show me the people who are hurting, who need you. Show me the people who are desperate for a touch from the Lord. Let me share with you a story where I really messed this up. And, and I didn't put this in my notes, but it's, I think it's important. There was a, a time when I went to Giant Eagle on the north side. It wasn't too far from my house. And there was this girl that was checking me out. Not like looking me up and down, but checking me out, right? You know what I'm saying? She was checking me out at the, at the checkout. And, and so there was this moment where the Holy Spirit was like, you need to talk to her about, about me. She's in pain. She's cutting herself, and it's not good. And I was like, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, I'm a young guy talking to a young girl about her brokenness and pain while she's trying to scan my milk. So I didn't do it. But every time I went to Giant Eagle, lo and behold, that was the only checkout that was open. Every time. And he consistently told me, you know, you need to speak to her. You need to speak to her. I didn't. And then all of a sudden, the intern of the church, guess who his girlfriend was? That girl. And I still didn't speak to her about the brokenness that God can heal in her life. And you know what happened? For the next about six to eight months, the Spirit of God was quiet. 
He's like, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm just not going to talk for a while. I never want to make that mistake again. But the Spirit of God will speak to you when you wait with expectancy. When you expect Him to speak. When you expect Him to move. When you are following the command of Jesus. He will speak. How often do we come to church with expectancy to hear God speak to us? I want to continue to remind us of expectancy. Because the early church will see over and over again their deep anticipation and expectancy of hearing the voice of God. Hearing it and then heeding it. That's a vital piece. We're to wait with expectancy. He will in fact fill us. Simpson stated, waiting on the Lord is not only a preparation for the Holy Spirit, but is a process of receiving the Holy Spirit. Because it is a command to wait. It's not just something that that we put together for preparation. It's part of the process. We wait with intimacy and anticipation for the Lord to speak. We see another aspect of importance for us, and, and when it comes to the Holy Spirit, to be an Acts 1-8 family, is to recognize that the mission of the church is driven by the dynamic power of the Spirit. And we see that in Acts 1-8. Let me just read that again for us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You can only be my witnesses when this happens. It's, an, it's a, a process. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The mission of the church is driven by the dynamic power of the Spirit. And we see, just like Brian brought to us last week, the word for power is dunamis, and it means supernatural or explosive power. It's actually the word that we get for dynamite. Power. Dunamis, it's spelled D-Y-N-A-M. That's the beginning of it, dynamite. It's this explosion of power. And here Jesus is promising them. He's not just stating it to make them feel good. It's a promise that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you will be my witnesses. The power will move the mission of the church. And this wasn't just for them then. This is for us now. But many times we neglect the Holy Spirit. In the Western church, and mostly in the American church, the the, the most neglected aspect of the Trinity is the person of the Holy Spirit. Many discipleship books have been written that don't even mention the name of the Holy Spirit. How can you have discipleship without the Holy Spirit? Acts says it's impossible. Jesus told the disciples it's impossible to really walk as a disciple without the Holy Spirit. How in the world are we pumping out discipleship books that don't even mention his name? That's a problem. And it's a problem that we have continued to perpetuate over and over and over again. It's a necessity for us to understand our need for the Holy Spirit. And that's why Warren Wiersbe says best. He said the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It's an absolute necessity. An absolute necessity. We cannot fulfill the mission with which he's called us to without the Holy Spirit. 
And this is why Jesus modeled it, and this is why Jesus commanded it to be for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to wait upon, to wait upon him with expectancy. Wagner states it this way, supernatural power is necessary for God's purposes to be fulfilled. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is a necessity for the, the, the mission of Christ to go forward. It's absolute necessity. If Jesus, here's something that God hit me with as I was preparing this sermon that was just like, and it might be controversial, but I believe 100% that it's true. If Jesus makes a command for believers and we disobey that command, it's called sin. We have sins of commission and sins of omission And I believe that the neglect of the Holy Spirit is the biggest sin of the Western church. Jesus said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you are completely ignored and not mentioned and totally forgotten, will that grieve you? Yes, it will. You will be grieved by that fact. The biggest sin of the Western church is the neglect of the Holy Spirit. Because we have consistently said over and over again, we could do it on our own church is shrinking we have to ask ourselves why now some people would say chalk it up to the end times the church is going to be smaller but i believe that jesus promised that there's going to be a huge boom before the end comes that's why in, in in matthew 24 he says listen the end won't come until the entire world knows who i am we learned at council that there are four billion approximately four billion people in our world who have still not heard the message of jesus four billion There is something wrong with that. And it's because we're not moved for mission. We're content to just puce it and be happy without going, without being sent. I guarantee you that when we listen to the Holy Spirit of God, he will send some of us. He will challenge some of us to give to the Great Commission Fund, to support those missionaries who are out there doing the work of God. Because we have three portions for mission, for for missions across the globe. That's to pray, that's to go, and that's to send. And we're going to get all about that in October. Just be ready. It's vitally important for us to understand that God desires for the world to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Because you could not live without Jesus, and I cannot live without Jesus. We desperately need the gospel of Jesus to go forward to the world. And it breaks my heart that there are 4 billion people who don't know. And it's because we're neglecting the voice of the Holy Spirit that we're not going. Because if we were listening, we would hear the word go over and over again. Just like he says in the book of Acts, when you receive power, then you'll be my witnesses. We've been a powerless American church for too long. Too long. And it breaks my heart. And it's time to change. And if we are going to look at the mission that we've been called to, we walk through an entire series of our mission as a church, and you might say, wow, that's a really great ambition. That's a really great goal. But we cannot achieve the God-sized mission that we as a church and we as individuals are called to without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. The dynamic power of the Spirit is to be used for mission and not myself. 
This is where things get a little bit tricky when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Many people in Western society neglect the Spirit because of the abuse of the Spirit that they've seen in some circles. Where there's this sense that the Holy Spirit's power is just for myself to glorify my name, to say how great I am, just like the Corinthian church. But that is not the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is for mission, not myself. When we seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's not so we can pat ourselves on the back. It's to say, I'm emptied. You tell me where to go. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. Man, this is vital. Daryl Bach, my favorite Lucan theologian, says his followers, that's Jesus, are given a mission through the Spirit and will be enabled by the Spirit. The mission that Christ has given us was given to us through the Holy Spirit. And it can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Simpson will continue. He said, we can only enjoy the fullness of the Spirit insofar as we use this fullness for the work to which he has called us. The power of the Holy Spirit is for mission. Another reason why I think we neglect the Holy Spirit is because we know that the Holy Spirit will call us to mission and we are happy not going on mission. Because mission that we are seeing in the book of Acts is uncomfortable. It's a little dangerous. Because we'll see the disciples beaten. We'll see Paul beaten to the edge of his life. And we're like, oh, I don't know if that, I don't feel comfortable about that. We've got to be bold. We've got to be brave. We've got to be courageous. We've got to step up to the plate and go after what the Holy Spirit is calling us to go after. And when we do, we will see God show up. I promise you. It's a promise that he will show up. It's because we are seeking it for the wrong reasons that we don't see it. Or worse, we're not seeking the fullness of the Spirit of God at all. Wagner reminds us the tarrying is not optional. That's a fancy word for waiting. <laughs> the tarrying is not optional, it is necessary. If we do not have the intimacy with God, we will not have the power. You and I need an intimate relationship with God. Where we just wait and we empty ourselves and say, God, I'm not going to move until you, until you tell me to move. God is still speaking today. He is a living God. Amen? God is alive. God's not dead. That means he still speaks today. That means we have relationship with him. He calls us into relationship with him. We need to wait and ask the Spirit to use us. Or we surrender and say, you know what? I don't know what to do. I need you, Holy Spirit of God. And that's why I can say with confidence that the dynamic power of the Spirit is the promise of success. The dynamic power of the Spirit is the promise of success. See, the Holy Spirit's power has been the plan all along. You see, Christ is the epicenter and the goal to be obtained. The Father is on the throne and the Spirit indwells the believer to spread the good news about Jesus. The dynamic power of the Spirit is a promise of success. When you and I 
are living in surrender to the Holy Spirit, Jesus promises success. That we will be the witnesses to the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and the ends of the world. That doesn't mean everybody that we witness to is going to come to Christ. Because they have a choice to deny it or not. To receive the gift of Christ or to push it away. But we will see as the American church, as the Western church, as the global church, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will see the success of the gospel going forward in ways that it has not been in decades, centuries. So we need to be waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit Williams, another commentator, reminds us, Peter draws attention to the divine authorship of Scripture in his reference to the Holy Spirit speaking through David. If the Holy Spirit was the plan all along, if the Holy Spirit was the driver of mission all along, we see, as Peter goes back and talks about, the fact that the Holy Spirit was the one who directed David to speak what he spoke about Judas. The Holy Spirit has been speaking From the beginning as he hovered over the waters as we sang. And he still wants to hover over us. To fill us, indwell us, and use us. It's a promise of success. The Holy Spirit has been promised throughout the Old Testament and the New. It was his plan all along for us. As Jesus promised, I will ascend and I will send the Holy Spirit. They waited ten days and next week we'll see what happened. But we're reminded that the Holy Spirit wrote the word. And he will interpret the word for the church. When we come to the word of God, are we still operating in the flesh, trying to understand it with our big brains? Or are we asking the Holy Spirit, saying, I have no idea what this means for my life, but I want to. Speak through your word to me. The Holy Spirit who wrote the word will explain the word. Jesus promises that in John 14. You and I need to be in complete submission to the Holy Spirit, emptying ourselves as Jesus said that we should. We need the Holy Spirit for mission and proper interpretation of the word. We cannot ever rely on ourselves for either. You and I have a mission. As believers, when we accept Jesus' salvation, it's not just for us to go to eternal bliss with him. That's a beautiful, wonderful peace. But as we come under the submission of Jesus as our Savior, and then Jesus as our Lord, we recognize that we're saved for something, not just to something. We're saved for mission, not just saved to heaven. The Holy Spirit is vital to the life of the believer. In order to live on mission, to understand the word of God, we need to have submission. And then as we wait upon him with expectancy, as we were commanded to, walking in obedience, we will receive power for mission. Show up next week to see what that looks like for the early church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truths of the gospel of Jesus. I thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to fill us with the power that we need to do that which you've called us to. I pray, God, that we will be a church, that we will be believers, that we will be leaders who come under submission to the Holy Spirit, emptying ourselves and waiting for you to guide and direct. Because when we're filled with your Spirit and we're operating in your Spirit, it's opposition to our flesh, and that's what we need. Because we can't do it in and of ourselves. We need you.
Oh, how we need you. Remind us of that. Fill us. In your name we pray.